It's the Real Roots Radio podcast, on-demand content highlighting the best information and entertainment from the Real Roots Radio team. Here's Daniel Mullen sitting down with one of today's top music makers on Real Roots Radio. Welcome back to Real Roots Radio. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome a legendary country singer to the program today. How are you doing, Mrs. Pam Tillis? Hi, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm doing the, I I can't complain. Of course, this whole quarantine thing and coronavirus has really messed up everybody's summer plans, but I know that you are a bit of a gardener, so have you been able to get quite a bit of gardening done over the past couple months? It's the first garden I've had now in a few years. (laughs) The last few years were not kind for my garden, you know, just that's a... That's not a bad thing. I was fortunate to have uh, great road work. But this year I found myself with time on my hands and like, and I felt that old familiar tug, you know, and uh, the next thing you know, I'm out there with a shovel. <laughs> I got a good little bumper crop. I've been enjoying lettuce the last couple of weeks and it, it's just, man, there's not many things better than uh, eating what you grow. Oh, there's not. My my mom always has a huge garden, and especially in the summer, there's not. You know, Guy Clark said there's nothing like homegrown tomatoes, but the same thing goes for corn and green beans and lettuce and the whole nine yards. And yes, um, you know, and I, while I'm missing the applause, I'm enjoying the lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> Now, of course, your father was Country Music Hall of Famer Mel Tillis, who passed away just a few years ago. What some and we're huge Mel Tillis fans at Real Roots Radio, and huge Pam Tillis fans as well. What are some things about your father that may surprise our listeners? Ah, that I love that question. Um, Daddy always said he'd rather be lucky than smart, but let me tell you, he was a really um, intelligent guy. And he'd, he'd dropped out of college, uh, pretty early to go in, into the music business, but he was a lifelong learner and he was really well read. He read a lot of history. Uh, he read about, uh, he, he took up painting, uh, at about 50 and he became really good at it, but he, he loved reading about like Picasso and Van Gogh and he just loved to learn. And I, I don't think, you know, because he's kind of a, you know, cause he was such a funny character. Uh, people wouldn't think of him in that, um, in that light, but he, he had a serious side too. And that's amazing that he was so gifted in one art form in songwriting that he was also gifted in other art forms like painting is uh, is pretty remarkable to have that much talent. Pretty pretty much anything that he ever tried to do, he did he did pretty darn well. <laughs> He's just one of those people you get mad at him. It's like, what you paint now? Great, <laughs> you know. It's like. Oh, it's so funny. I started to say, well, I never saw him dance, but actually I did, and he was pretty good at that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Not like Broadway dancing, but I remember that he used to do, um, for a little while, they were doing, like, production shows at the theater in Branson, and he got into some, he did a little bit of hoofing. (laughs) It was pretty cool. (laughs) 
Now, Miss Tillis, you are of a generation of uh, of ladies who came out in country music who were second generation. You know, you, your friend Lori Morgan, Roseanne Cash. Um, your your fathers all were legendary country figures. When you were becoming your own artist, how did you respect the tradition and the music of your father while also trying to find your own voice and your own path? Oh, that's a complicated question. It, it really is a complicated question. Um, I, I, I can be a bit long-winded, so I'll try, to, I'll try to figure out how to answer that. Um, I feel like I loved, all, first of all, I loved all kinds of music as a, as a child. I, I loved classical. I loved, you know, Judy Garland, Doris Day. I loved folk music and bluegrass. I love seeing the, you know, Flatt and Scruggs came on Saturday afternoon television and you name it. I loved it. I loved Gladys Knight. I just, just, I kind of didn't discriminate, but, um, I reached a certain age where, um, I, I'm sure your listeners can relate to this, where you kind of like, it's not that cool to like your parents' music, you know? Yeah. So I kind of pulled, and the kids at my high school, they were listening to, uh, they didn't care. They, I always said they would have been much more um, impressed if, you know, Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin had been my dad and not, um, you know, like, because we went to kid, we went to school with like Ernest Tubbs kids and uh, uh, Tom T Hall's kids, and it was no big deal. And and of course, country music wasn't so big as it is now, right? Yeah. And so people weren't that. Um, I went to uh, I knew Sedina Reed, Jerry Reed's daughter, and so it was kind of no big deal. Um, the kids were all listening to classic rock, uh, classic rock. And uh, Southern rock. That was the big music of the era. So uh, anyway, so, you know, I really got into rock and roll. And then I went through a period of time where right as I'm graduating from high school, daddy is at like one of the top phases of his career. He won uh, Entertainer of the Year the year I graduated. Wow. And, you know, and I had sort of been starting to have aspirations of, of being a singer and I thought you know well maybe I better maybe if I sing in another genre um I might be able to come out from underneath his shadow because I mean he was everywhere he was in movies he was on all the talk shows just you name it he was on it and all of you know and and so that can be very daunting for a young entertainer and I tell you it, it's not, it's not a given. It's not a shoe in, you know, there's a lot of, um, children of famous parents that don't make it, you know, they don't, they don't clear the hurdle, so to speak. So I kind of went off on a little tangent and I was in a jazz band for a while and I was in an R&B band and I was, um, I sang all kinds of music in the studio as a, as a jingle singer and a session singer. I was even kind of nouveau, <laughs> new wave-ish, you know, kind of like, <laughs> I'm really going to throw out names that some of the younger people will go, who? But, you know, remember when Blondie was big, pre-Madonna, you know, it was pre-Madonna. 
And I just loved all that pop. I did like pop music, too, and I played around with that. As a matter of fact, my first full-length LP was was more of a pop affair. Um, and, um, you know, I just, I, you know, basically I reserved the right to, to play around with all the different styles. And I wanted to, uh, I didn't want anybody to assume that I was going to go into country. I, I thought, well, you know, I owe it to myself. I, I, I did, I pretended my best to be in, uh, like, you know, anonymous. I just went off on my own merry little path and I'm like, I'm going to figure this thing out on my own. And, uh, I want to define myself. I don't want other people to tell me who I am or what I should sing. And after doing that for a few years, um, I ended up coming back to country and I, my writing, it just, it was more, my, my songwriting was more cut from the same cloth of the, of the, of the artist um, and the songwriters that I'd grown up with, many of whom were my dad's peers. You know what I mean? I mean, my songwriting was more country than it was anything else. And I just let that kind of dictate eventually who I became as an artist, if that makes sense to you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And who were some of these songwriting heroes of yours that uh, that you looked up to? You mentioned many of them were your dad's peers. Who were well, some of your favorite songwriters when you began uh, honing um, your craft? Yeah, I just, it's interesting uh, that you asked that because I just got to do a, um, a little guest uh, DJ takeover on Willie's Roadhouse. And, and, uh, I was like, man, I got to play, you know, 10 songs. What? And if you give me a, a thing that I've got to like narrow down something, I really have a hard time. I'm, I'm the like, same way. <laughs> so I'm like, I have about a million songs I'd like to play for everybody. And I'm like, what am I going to, how am I going to narrow this down? So I decided to uh, play, talk about the songwriters that I grew up around. And so the names that came to mind were, of course, Daddy at the top of my list, but um, you know, Christofferson was a big friend of daddy's, uh, Harlan Howard, you mentioned, um, Merle Haggard, uh, Dolly Parton, uh, being one of those songwriters, um, oh, Curly Putnam, Hank Cochran, Roger Miller, just uh, amazing. Uh, of course, Loretta, uh, being, uh, an amazing, you know, woman, female songwriter, just incredible. So I just grew up with the bar so high with with great songwriters. Uh, Red Lane, um, I could just go on and on and on um, of people that they were just, the, to me, I still, you know what's different about it is, um, and I like this because I feel like this kind of song form still exists in bluegrass. Let me let me say that. Um, it's, it's a song form that I... I, I I, you know, I can relate to and I recognize um, there was an economy like, uh, you know, th they could do so much with so little, mm -hmm. so few words, you know, Bob McDill, uh, uh, Dean Dillon, th those guys could put the least amount of words and say everything. Mm -hmm. And now I think uh, even on uh, you know, in pop country, in pop and in pop country, it's a million words just coming at you. 
Yeah. And sometimes that I think they don't mean as much as a few well-chosen ones. I think you're exactly right. There's one of my favorite Earl Scruggs quotes is the beauty of simplicity shall never be surpassed. And when you hear a guy like, you know, Tom T. Hall's songwriting. Oh my gosh. There's another one. Yeah. He could, um, I've spoke to this about this a few weeks ago with a friend that Tom T. Hall and his writing, he didn't assume the audience was stupid. He didn't over-explain everything. He could say more with less, or even someone like John Prine who recently passed away. That's, oh my you know, gosh, you yes. could just say a few words and you could expound, you could expound on yeah. those, that one line. You could write a whole essay on it, you know, um, yeah. based off the power and, of just well-chosen words. But they were deceptively simple. Yes. I mean, they weren't, they're, you know, because there's, you know, being in the room with and watching some of those masters work, it wasn't that you could put any old simple words together. Yeah, <laughs> it was that, that you put the exact right simple words together. That therein lied the mad, lay the magic, you know. But um, I can I can go off and off and off and off and off on that because uh, it just. That's uh, I, I'm still in all all these years later. Willie Nelson, let's name another one. <laughs> uh, you know, I could just go on and on. Uh, it's just still uh, magic to me what they what they they kind of created country music. Uh, those guys of my dad's era, those songwriters, I feel like the country you hear today though is came out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to maybe the generation before, which we've kind of lost touch with. I feel like we're still kind of there are some, you know, roots that we're still connected to 70s country. You go back a little bit further and it gets a little bit more tentative to to place. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Once that new generation of songwriters really raised the bar and raised the level of the writing in country music, there's uh, there's still such a there's such a firm grasp and a, a a thread and a line you can draw straight from those influences to the music being mm-hmm. made today. That bar was raised and it hasn't hasn't really lowered that much. Once no, they, they no. set the standard. I th- I feel like artists like um, you know Miranda Lambert and Eric Church and Chris Stapleton they're 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 still tapped into those wells and, yeah. and uh, they're doing it with a modern sensibility, but they're very tapped into that. Absolutely. Without question. Visiting with Pam Tillis on Real Roots Radio today. Miss Tillis, you mentioned the, the varied influences uh, that you have. It seems like they're all rolled into one on your new album, Looking for a Feeling. <laughs> there's soul, <laughs> there's country, there's pop <laughs> sensibilities. Um how, Do you think I left anything out? I, I don't know. It's it's all on there. It's all you. Uh, what was it like trying to combine all these different influences into a melting pot of a record that is 100% Pam Tillis? Have you ever seen those movies where, you know, they, they put all these things up on a wall and they, they, they have yarn going from one piece of paper to the other? Yeah. <laughs> Like oh, in those my. crime investigations where yeah, they're trying yeah, to connect it was everything. Like that. Yeah. It, it's the way my uh, office wall looked for a long time. No, I wanted, <laughs> you know, and having this pent up thing of not having made a record in a while, I really did narrowing. I'm sorry, I think I'm getting overexcited now. Narrowing it, narrowing it down was uh, really, really hard. 
Um, but, you know, things kind of uh, have a self-winnowing process, I think. Uh, it was, it, yeah, I wanted to do everything, and I still do, but you can only throw so much on any given record, I think. <laughs> oh, we were speaking uh, off air about how this record was a long time coming. You had started this record a few years ago, and you kind of put it on the shelf a little bit after your father's passing. How did uh, losing your father impact this record? Um. Well, dad was, um, dad was sick for a, a long time and, um, and, 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 and then, you know, and we had some good old country song family d- drama surrounding, you know, his passing and there's just all kinds of emotional, it was a real emotional whirlwind for a year and a half and that will take a toll on you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd go back into the studio and I just, I just felt the, uh, like the tightness, uh, uh, you know, it just like, it kind of locked me up. It's like my gears were locked up, you know, and it just took a while for that, all those emotions to settle down enough where I felt like I could get my, get my groove back. It really did. It was weird. I just could not get in it. And after, uh, after going through that, you you finally were able to to get back in the studio and, and release a, a wonderful album called "Looking for a Feeling." Um, it's available now, um, and it is chock full of all your influences. You mentioned Dolly Parton as an influence earlier, and there's a fun song on the album called "Dolly 1969" um, about a, a picture of Dolly Parton that you have. Do you think you could explain to our audience about the song and about that picture in particular? What about Dolly and, and that photo inspires you? Well, I, I will be honest. I, that That is not um, one of the songs on the record that I wrote. That's one of the uh, small number of uh, songs I chose to cover. And uh, it's uh, I ran across this song, actually uh, um, written by uh, a guy named Bob Regan. And he told me the story behind the song um he said that he had been having a writer's block and he'd gone in you know sometimes being a songwriter it is not an easy gig you know and nothing more cruel than staring at a blank piece of paper for days and he um he said that um he finally went in his office one day and he said you know this is he said i'm just going to do an I'm going to write something. I don't care if it's bad. I'm going to do a, like a writing exercise. And he was hoping that it would, something would shake loose. And there was a picture on his wall. It's an iconic image. You can actually Google it. And, um, it's a Jim McGuire photograph. And, and and I invite anybody listening to, to go to Google and just kind of scroll through the, listen to the song. And then go, through, you know, kind of scroll through the images and you'll see it. And um, anyway, he, he, he started just writing what he saw in that in, in that photograph. And it's a magical little song. And it's a bit of time travel for me because it's coming from the point of view of, of me as a young artist, as a young girl wanting to get into the business. And... Um, you know, kind of thinking back and how that felt 
and uh, meeting somebody like Dolly Parton when I was a young girl. And, um, and she was blazing the trail f- for me and so many other artists and, and, you know, just, just looking up to her and going, man, I just, if I could just hit, you know, if I could just ride along and learn everything I can from her, I'd be, I'd do okay, you know, but it's such a good song. One thing, uh, when you look at artists like like Dolly Parton, and I'm sure it's inspiring. It was inspiring for you then. And it's got to be inspiring for all female country singers even today. Is that especially in a world where your mainstream country radio is a little skewed towards one gender more than the other? Um, Dolly is one of those that even in her era embraced her femininity and used it as such a strength in her music and in her image and in in her branding. That's something that that you've embraced as well, putting it right out front and saying, I'm proud to be a woman and here's why, and you can take it or leave it and making that come through in your music. How important do you think that is? Well, you know, if one of the, feeling is that you uh i feel like as an artist your job is to kind of express emotions and uh stories um for people who maybe couldn't do it themselves you know what i mean you're a Mm -hmm. mirror yeah and um i i I, so i think you've got to have (laughs) the feminine viewpoint out there i mean it's crazy uh, women want to hear songs by other women you know that they can relate to so i'm not really quite sure how it kind of got lopsided I, i'm not I'm, it's really an odd thing i'm not sure what happened um because it's in a weird way it's more like it was i remember you know before i kind of got my record deal on arista in uh 90 1990 you know i remember as a young woman hearing uh, there were these kind of sayings in the business like well they won't play two female records back to back or or uh or women don't sell concert tickets or um you know or the labels would say oh we don't need too many girls we just we just need one (laughs) you know something stuff like that and you were hearing these men Women don't produce their own records, blah, 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 you know, or just shut up, little girl, and sing this song. I mean, this was the added, this was the thing. Of course, there were female artists that got around it, and somehow, you know, there are some iconic, there are women that said, um, you know, to hell with that. And sometimes that worked out fantastic if you're Dolly or Loretta or, you know, Tammy or whatever. But uh, sometimes it didn't work out. But the point is, is that those were the messages that were floating around when I was starting out in my career. And to end up, you know, 30, 25 years later and to go backwards after the really golden of early 90s when it was, you know, Trisha and Patty and uh, Susie Boggess, Mary Chapin Carpenter, um, you know, shortly after Martina McBride came just uh, and, and then they it was also really a cool time because they were letting people in the door that 
that they would not like Lori Lewis had a country deal. Come on now. Uh, (laughs) Cheryl, Cheryl Wheeler had a country deal. I mean, it was wide open. What a glorious time that was. And, uh, and I'm going to mention my friend, Lori Morgan and just, you know, uh, amazing. And like I said, how it went backwards, I just, I, I, for the life of me, I don't, I'm not really sure what happened. What, so you can tell I'm really passionate about that. Yeah. What I will say is that there's, there's no, it's not anything to do with the women artists out there now and their talent, talent level exactly, or their, or their level of commitment. It's, that's not. It's not because all of a sudden there's no good girl singers. That's not happening. No, that some of the best country music coming out these days is from women. As far as new artists, I mean, folks yeah. like Casey Musgraves, Ashley Monroe, Brandy Clark. Yeah. The list goes on and on and on. Uh, and for some reason, people aren't aren't waking up. Uh, and it, I, I agree. It it's uh, it's strange that it's gone backwards. Uh, we have a program on our, our radio network called Top of the Charts Tuesday. And it's amazing um, what they'll do is they'll pick up a certain year and our afternoon host will play the top 30 as it was that day and that year. And you mentioned the 90s. The 90s, you'll, you know, in a top 30, you'll easily hear a dozen women. And it is such a contrast from today where in the top 30, if there's three right. or four, that's, that's, a pretty, that's pretty impressive. Um, right. That's got to be encouraging for you knowing what the industry was like when you first started to then be able to break down so many of those barriers that they said women couldn't do, whether that is recording contracts, whether that's producing your own records, whether that's starting your own record label. um, That's got to be really motivating and encouraging for you to look back on what the industry was like when you started and see how you were able to overcome some of those hurdles. Right. Right. It, it, it is encouraging, and I just, you know, uh, I, I love what like uh, like Brandy Carlisle and and uh, and Miranda and some of the artists that are, you know, at the peak of their careers right now, being so encouraging to the young women. And I, I, I try to do that myself, and I think it's important for us to, while this kind of odd time is going on, to to support each other and. Anyway, it'll change. Uh, there's a lot of great, uh, there's a lot of great uh, female artists out there and talent. There really is. We're speaking with one of the legendary females in country music today, Miss Pam Tillis, and, and you mentioned the times in which we're in. There's a one song in particular that you co-wrote on the new album that I'm sure at the time you recorded it, you would have no idea how powerful and how poignant and relevant it would be when the album was released. And that's my kind of medicine. It seems like that song and its message rings even more true with what's going on in the world now than it was when you probably recorded it uh, in the making of this album. Well, I, I somebody else said that to me recently, and they went, Did, you know, they were just saying it seemed timely. I, I do feel like um, it's a song about... Uh, you know, simple pleasures and, and simple, uh, just, uh, you know, ways that, that, um, I found that I can cope with the stress of touring and the stress of all the things that go in 
with being an artist. And then also, also all the things that are just part of daily life today, you know, just um, modern life is, I think it's, uh, you know, we got all these gadgets and all these uh, things that are supposed to be so much more, save us all this time. And, you know, I had a, I think things are more complicated now. Uh, I had a three-channel childhood. <laughs> now, <laughs> now there's, a, you know, 1,000 things on television, and I can't figure out how to find any of it. <laughs> it's just so funny. But um, anyway, it's the ways that I try to cope with all that and, and uh, rolled it into a song. And I think... I have noticed that a lot of the things that I mentioned in the song um, have really come in handy during this time. You know, talk about being out in nature and uh, playing with the dog and, um, you know, talking to a friend on the phone and just the simple, simple things that uh, a lot of times are free things in life. And um, it's been a big help. You know, while we find ourselves in this really strange, uncharted territory. Other things that are good for the soul is anytime we can hear new music from Miss Pam Tillis. The new album, Looking for a Feeling, available now. Uh, where can folks go to connect with you on uh, on social media and online, Miss Tillis? Oh, uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, I... Uh, occasionally tweet uh but but those are the 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 main things i'm uh i'm exploring some new platforms but uh uh it's all new out there um but uh definitely facebook and instagram are are my uh my go-tos at the moment it's been an absolute honor and a pleasure having you on the air today oh oh, oh oh let me mention this yes the album yes. is streamed on all the platforms pandora and spotify and uh, all of them. Apple just Music. Place. I know it's on Apple Music. That's what I use. Yeah. So. <laughs> anyway, just about any way you can stream music, uh, you can find the iTunes, all all of that. So I, I have to mention that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Got to check out the new album from Pam Tillis, <laughs> Looking for a Feeling, available now. Thank you for joining us on the program, Miss Tillis. It's been a real treat. Thank you, Daniel. Great to talk to you. Pick your day up with music that is sweet. A slender, high-spirited person needs a sugar pick-me-up. The Daniel Mullins Midday Music Spectacular. Weekdays, 10 to noon on Real Roots Radio.